Hello, and welcome to the Double Double. My name is Kelly Hogan, and joining me, as always, David Dixon. David, how's it going? What's going on, Kelly? It's a bit of a rainy day here in New York. Yankees got the sweep over Seattle, which was a great, great development. But uh, doing good. We are the official, in case people didn't know, we got some banter on Twitter. We are the official podcast of the Daniel Jones fan club. And uh, Daniel Jones is starting week four of the preseason. How about that? Huge opportunity for him. And you mentioned the Yanks. Aaron Judge just hit his fifth homer in six games. So he's getting hot at the right time. Uh, We are also joined today by a special guest. I work with him and went to the Mets game the other night with him. Taylor Silva. Taylor, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Of course. So, Taylor, you, you've got a really, really interesting background. For the audience, Taylor was a football manager at Alabama during this Saban dynasty, and he spent a lot of time around Coach Saban, the rest of that impressive coaching staff, a bunch of guys who are now playing on Sundays in the NFL. And as if that wasn't exciting enough, Taylor also spent a semester as an intern on the herd with Colin Cowherd out in L.A., David, I know you're a big cowherd guy. Of course. Just, I got a lot of questions about his process. So, Taylor, we want to hit on those experiences, and then we're going to wrap up with your three locks of the week for week one of the college football season. But before we even get into your time as the football manager at Alabama, just kind of, you know, where are you from? Where'd you grow up? Give the audience a, a little bit of background on yourself. Yeah, so uh, I was born and raised in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. That's where the University of Alabama is. So I grew up a grew up an Alabama fan. Loved football, basketball, played baseball in high school. Pretty much. I mean, it's Tuscaloosa. It's just it's a small college town, so it's not not too big. But I mean, pretty much the only thing we do down there is I mean, we love SEC football. We're all about it every Saturday. It's it's like a religion down there. And for sure, and, and kind of like being such on a, such a small town, kind of was that your first choice for college? Was there any other college destinations you were thinking of, or or did you really want to go to to Alabama? Uh, I would say growing up, I definitely wanted to go to Alabama, but once I got to high school, you know, you definitely you kind of want to get away from home a little further. But once I got this offer, this awesome opportunity to become a football manager at Alabama, I just had to take it so you kind of mentioned just the sec craze and you know how down there it's it's kind of like a religion what what is sec football really like in the south because i don't think people up here have a true appreciation for how passionate those fan bases are it's it's what they're what the sec is known for it 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 literally it just means more down there it's i mean we we live breathe it i mean you saw me this past weekend how excited I was just to watch Florida. It's it's we love I mean, we just love the speed, we love the athletes in the SEC. It's just I don't know, it's it's different. See we, we didn't grow up with a professional sports team around us, so watching college football Saturdays is like I mean, it's like NFL Sundays for all the big cities. So so did you have any traditions or your family have any traditions for the Alabama Auburn weekend? Is that you know an unofficial holiday the way the Super Bowl is for basically everyone but like especially in Alabama is is Auburn Alabama weekend just everyone is just watching football yeah it's it's pretty big it's uh 
the Iron Bowl is a big deal in Tuscaloosa. It, they, it just, it's, I mean, Auburn's, Auburn's always been our rival. We probably consider Tennessee as like the top rival just to kind of make the Auburn fans a little mad, but, uh, it's it's different. My mom went to Ole Miss, so she's not as big into the rivalry as I am or my other friends that are from Tuscaloosa with their parents from Tuscaloosa. But uh, it's it, it's weird, honestly. It's 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 different. It's like a Steelers. It's like a Steelers uh, Ravens game. You were telling me the other day, Tyler. Who was your next door neighbor growing up? Growing up, I grew up next to Kirby Smart, so that was it was pretty cool seeing him every day and. Seen his young kids. He had two twins. Um, so watching them grow up, we were, I mean, we were, we were my mom and uh, Miss Mary Beth Smart, his wife, they, they were pretty good friends. So it was, it was cool seeing him. But, I mean, I, I, I obviously didn't get to see him much because he was, I mean, he was working all the time. He was, I mean, he was gone whenever I'd leave for 6 a.m. baseball workouts. He, he'd be gone. And then when I'd get home at 10, 11 o'clock at night, he'd, I mean, he still, his car wouldn't be there yet. So he's, he was always working, and obviously it's paid off because I think he's an awesome coach, and he's building a powerhouse. So would you say that Georgia would be your second favorite team? It's Georgia's currently my second favorite team in the SEC, mainly because they, their starting right tackle, Isaiah Wilson, went to the same high school as me. He was a year younger. We didn't overlap a lot, but you got to have the high school pride. Yeah, so that's pretty cool right there. But, uh, yeah, uh, I'd, I'd say Georgia's up there. I mean, I— Probably the people back in Tuscaloosa wouldn't like me hearing or like hearing this, but I mean, I, yeah, I I'll support Kirby every day for sure. So Taylor, as a as a student manager under Nick Saban, what are some of the kinds of things that you were responsible for doing and taking care of? Uh, well, I was the defensive spotter. So what that means is I, I was on the we had the offensive field and then we had the defensive field, and the defensive spotter I had to play I had to play script every day, and we would. I would start off the play, so it would be like 41-yard line left hash, and this is where we're going to run this play. And then it would be you know 44-yard line right hash, so we're going to run this play next. And any – so I was I was right there. I mean, I was I was next to Saban nonstop the entire practice. I was the only manager that did that. And any any play he wanted to, you know, do over, saw something he didn't like, he'd, he'd let me know, and then I'd be yelling at the other coaches, reload, reload, you know, let's restart this play. So how many football managers does, does Alabama have? Because they have 85 scholarship players and a bunch of coaches, but how many managers are at practice every day? Yeah, we had 14 full-time managers, and then we'd have about eight trainees. So they would come in about – the trainees would come in about once a week, and then they would get the uh, home Alabama football games. Gotcha. And then the other 14 of us, we'd obviously – we'd work every single day. We'd travel to all the games – and then, like you said, we have 85 scholarship players, but we've also got probably 30, 40 walk-ons there. And people don't understand, but practice would not go on without walk-ons. They, they mean so much to the team, and they, they mean more than just, just people on the sidelines you see during game days. Practice wouldn't happen without them. So true. I, I love the shout-out for the walk-ons. So th- this might be a tough one, but if you had – one word to describe Nick Saban, what would it be? Oof. Uh, probably perfectionist, honestly. Uh, he he demands perfection out of everybody. That goes from the coaches to the players to equipment staff, training, I mean, scouting, everybody. He he, he won't let up on anybody. He, he demands everybody to do 
exactly you know what what they're supposed to do and it's high at a highest level as they can so obviously alabama has won their fair share of, of football games this this past decade <laughs> un, under Saban, and they've had some exceptional talent who who in your mind when you first saw them you know just walking to practice as, as a freshman you saw them and went oh my god who is this guy probably the one that i can remember i mean they're all i mean they're all huge. They're this. I mean, they're ginormous human beings. It's <laughs> it's it's kind of unreal. But uh, the one that I can remember every time is Ashawn Robinson. He had this beard, man, that he, he looked like he was thirty five years old. And I mean, <laughs> I walk into one day, I was like, "How old is this kid?" And he's and they're like, "He's eighteen years old." I was like, "I'm nineteen. I look like this." He's like, so it's, it's, uh, it's pretty wild. Derrick Henry. I mean, he's he was he's ginormous. It's, I mean, they're all just. They're monsters. It's crazy how big these humans are. All right, so I got to ask. I've seen Nick Saban rip into countless players. I've seen him rip into Lane Kiffin, into Kirby Smart. Has Nick Saban ever ripped into you? And if so, why? Oh, yeah, we, we've, all, we've all taken our, our butt shootings for sure, she calls it. Uh, I remember one day I had to take over for it – it's me and the assistant equipment manager that follows Saban around at practice – and the assistant, he, he wasn't able to make it one week. So I had to take over his job and do the horn, work the clock, all that kind of stuff, and follow him. I mean, that's also doing – he does the – Saban does the uh, the defensive backs individual drills. So, I mean, you're throwing footballs for him and stuff. So, it's, I mean, it's it's a lot of work. I got – I'm pretty pretty impressed with how he does it every day, the assistant equipment manager. But uh, one day I remember I had the horn, and it was, it was the first day I was taking over for him. Uh, he yells at me, we're switching periods, and he starts jogging off. He goes, blow the horn. And I clicked the horn button, and the horn broke. It just went, Sss. so I, I was I was panicking. He turned around again about five seconds later, blow the horn. And I, I was I, I was panicking. I was, the players were yelling at me, kind of messing with me. And I finally, about 20, 30 seconds later, I grabbed a pen and just stabbed him, and the horn finally blew, and I... I was so relieved, and I looked up, and he is just cracking up, laughing at me. He was he was dying. <laughs> that was that was that was pretty good. But uh, and then yeah, another one we've had is the very next day. Actually, we were inside practice, and uh, the clock stopped working. And that was I mean, wasn't my fault, but it was on me according to coach. So I was. I was panicking, trying to get the clock going, and we couldn't get it going for about five minutes. And I finally, I had a stopwatch in my in my pocket, and I was trying to keep it on the on the stopwatch so we'd stay on on schedule because he's you know he's he's on schedule. He doesn't miss seconds. But that's also and, uh, that, that, that's all because he has to because you guys only get a certain amount of practice time a week. It's you know he has to. You guys exactly. have to make the most of every second you guys are yeah. out there. Exactly, and there's yeah that's. Switching periods and everything. That's why everybody's sprinting to different field, all that kind of stuff. Because it's, I mean, he, he's got it down every second, stretching every every second, all that kind of stuff. So clearly, Nick Saban's very detail oriented. You mentioned he's a perfectionist. He's going to be sixty eight. His birthday is Halloween. How much gas? How much gas do you think Nick Saban has left in the tank? How much? How much longer do you think he stays at Bama? Um, I'd probably say he's got another five years for sure. He, uh, I mean, honestly, I couldn't see him doing anything else. He, I mean, he plays golf in the off season every now and then, but he's, I mean, he's always he's always on the phone recruiting. I mean, he was 
I see him driving up in the mornings. I mean, before 6 a.m., he's one of the first, he's probably the first coach there every day. And then after practice gets over at 7, 8 o'clock, I mean, he's in his office till 10, 11 o'clock at night on the phone with recruits, you know, still looking at film, all that kind of stuff. I just, he seems like he's got, I mean, he's got that passion for it still. And I, I don't see him leaving until he loses that passion. So is Saban a big rah-rah, pump-up speech guy in in the locker room like any given Sunday, or is he more no, more mellow? Not at all. Not at all, yeah. He's he's not pumping up anybody. Usually he's walking around, and he's he'll, like, before the games and stuff, he'll have, uh, they have their coaches meeting while the players are getting dressed, and then right before, they, uh, they'll separate into each side, and that's when the defensive coordinator, Kirby, or... Jeremy Pruitt, uh, anybody like that in the offensive side with Kiffin when I was there, they would they would be going over the plays we're going to start off with or what what these coverages might happen, so we'll know what what calls were probably coming in first on defense, stuff like that. But he's yeah, before the game, he's not saying a word. Honestly, he's he's sitting back, he's letting the other coaches do their stuff. But if he if he notices something that Kirby or whoever the D coordinator doesn't say, then he's saying it. But. Yeah, he stays. He definitely stays on on the defensive side. He lets. That's what I kind of like watching. Is he he lets the offense. He trusts the offensive coordinator, the offensive line coach. He lets them do their thing, and then he he's he's all defense. So, from my understanding, Saban's right hand man down there is a is a guy named Scott Cochran, who's the head strength and conditioning coach. How much of a role does he play, or has he played, in the success of the program? Yeah, he's yeah. Coach Cochran's the man. He, I mean, the team wouldn't be wouldn't be what they are without him. He's, I mean, he's on them nonstop during the summer. He, I mean, there as many stadiums as they run and all these gassers and the workouts he has them going through. It's it's pretty incredible. I mean, he's he's got it down to a science. He knows what he's doing, and I mean, it, it shows. Honestly, he's. You don't see many times. He's always preaching fourth quarter, fourth quarter. It's it's all about, I mean, how much you want it, and it's all about just just keep going, give everything you got. It's 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 pretty amazing to watch, honestly. So, for those workouts, does does he change it by position group? Like, there's no way that the punters are doing the same thing as the D linemen, and the quarterbacks are doing the same thing as the linebackers, right? Yeah, they're, I mean, they're all doing like sort of the same stuff they're not doing you know like the as much reps or anything but yeah now the punter the punters and kickers they're running just as much as the d linemen and the receivers are it's i mean it's it's a team game and that's that's kind of what they preach there so you've you've been immersed in college football for seems like pretty much your whole life so i think you'll probably have an interesting perspective here if you were named nca president and could change one thing about college football specifically what would it be I'm honestly, I'm not a big fan of the the pass interference rule. I think it should be a a spot foul like the NFL. I've always kind of been a little iffy against that. I just, I I don't know. I I don't think that, I mean, the defender should get credit if he gets beat and just tackles a guy downfield. I don't think it should just be a 15-yard penalty. I think it should be a spot foul and penalize him. But also at the same time with that, that, you don't. You haven't really seen many many offensive pass interference calls in college football lately. So I I would give you got to give the defender the same chance you do as the offensive player to uh, have a play on the ball. So so during your time at Alabama, can, can can you remember a home game and a road game where you're standing on the sideline and you're just taking in the atmosphere? Is like this is 
like this is cool probably I mean two favorite road games for sure besides the you know the championships uh the rain game at Georgia back in I think it was 2015 that was that was pretty awesome it was I mean it was pouring down rain the entire game and it was it was intense I mean there's some videos on Twitter of just like the I mean both teams jawing right as we roll, right as we come out of the locker room. It was it was awesome. There was so much intensity in that stadium, and it was a great game. But there's there's nothing better than an LSU family game in Baton Rouge. Baton Rouge is it's a different being. It's it's it's, it's awesome. I can't even describe it honestly. That's what everyone says. Maybe we need to take the double double on the road, Kelly. Hey, I wouldn't be opposed. They play next season, so we we could definitely make that happen. So the last thing I want to hit on regarding Alabama, Taylor, is Jalen Hurts. Here's a guy, he gets benched in favor of Tua, and, you know, Tua goes out, nearly wins a Heisman. Hurts, you know, keeps his mouth shut when a lot of kids probably would have transferred and finds himself playing in the SEC championship game, and without him, they probably don't make it to the national championship. So just kind of how is he viewed in Alabama now that he is playing at Oklahoma under Lincoln Riley? I think he's. I mean, I think he's viewed as a legend. Honestly, I think he'll he'll be. I mean, one of the most talked about Alabama quarterbacks ever. Uh, I've got so much respect for Jalen for what he did, just staying when. I mean, everybody was telling him, all the media, everything was. Everybody was talking about how he's going to transfer, and I mean, all he was doing is. I mean, he just wanted to get his degree from Bama and just support his football team. He wasn't. He wasn't worried about what anybody was saying saying about him. I mean, and. Like you said, sometimes I mean stuff like that just works out. Where I mean, he had the chance to have that kind of fairy tale ending. Where he's, I mean, man, I mean Georgia, Georgia was winning that game. Like that game was over, and he he came in and gave us the spark, and he he put on a show. I, I think it was, I think three straight third downs he converted to get a touchdown. It was it was it was an awesome game. I'll never forget that. But yeah, he's he's definitely one of one of the best people I've ever met. He's he's a great person and a great leader, and can't wait to see what he does at Oklahoma this year. Yeah, for sure. You got to think that his combination with Lincoln Riley is just going to be just going to be awesome. Oh, it's, yeah, it's it's got to be. It's, it's, I'm very excited to see him and see if he could possibly get that third straight Heisman. That that would be wild. <laughs> but so but so my last Alabama related question. You you've mentioned a bunch of times. Just how big these guys are, how much athletic freaks, and just the type of workouts they're doing. Can you describe the scene in the Alabama football complex cafeteria, and maybe and maybe give maybe the best food related story that that you've got to experience while during your time with uh with with the football program. Well, when I was there, they didn't have this brand new cafeteria that they just built last year. I mean, this one, the one that they have now, it's, I mean, they, they've got their own personal chefs. So, I mean, they're making, uh, they're, I mean, they'll have lobster, steaks, pasta, any, pretty much anything you can think of, honestly. They, they'll whip up for you now. But when I was there, they, they had, uh, they had catered food in after practice every day, and it's it's always you know it's it's full of protein and it's I mean it's chicken, it's steak still, it's I mean it's rice, it's it's anything to like replenish all those uh, all those lost lost carbs and stuff like that. Uh, I can't think of a, a story exactly of how much food because honestly, I, I mean I'd be picking up people's dirty underwear right okay. while, while they're finishing <laughs> yeah finishing uh, their food. So I can't really think of a story there. 
but it's i mean the cafeteria now it's it's incredible what they built all right switching gears a little bit you spent some time out in la working for the herd what was that experience like it was awesome i mean I, i've watched his show since i mean he was back at espn he's he's my my personal favorite uh sports media sports radio talk guy uh it was it was a dream come true honestly i had applied for it and didn't think i'd get it and a couple months later i get a phone call and say we you fly over uh we want you to come and uh it was i was very thankful for that experience i mean he's 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 what you see on tv honestly he's very he's quirky and he's quick he's very witty he's uh he's kind of got that dry sense of humor that i mean i really enjoy but he's he's so like he's very open too so like i mean i'll be sitting in the meetings with him every day it's like seven other producers and then it's me i I was the only intern and he i mean he'd be asking me questions about you know teams in the sec or bama or something like that he'd be i mean he'd take in what i see and i mean you kind of you wouldn't expect somebody like you know that big that up there would kind of do that so i was i was pretty shocked and very thankful so kind of how did you get the get the opportunity to apply like like talk about the application and the interview process did did Cowher sit down with you or, or was it one of his producers yeah it was uh actually i mean i i saw the application i was looking through indeed on uh on the internet <laughs> and i just i shot my resume up there and i guess they saw the alabama football on there and so they uh i got an email a couple months later i didn't you know I, obviously i didn't think i'd, I'd get it because i mean i was i was already a month and a half into school uh and they called me about october beginning of october and it was like hey uh We'd just like to talk to you, see if you, you actually would want to relocate from Tuscaloosa to L.A. And I was like, absolutely. You know, this is, I mean, it's a dream come true. And it was it was awesome. It was a great experience. I, I loved L.A. I loved working for Fox Sports, the whole community. It was, it was a great time. That's so cool. And I, I've heard stories about Colin Coward and just his preparation, how much time he puts into each show. For those who don't know, that show starts at nine o'clock Pacific time. So, you know, what time are you getting in on a daily basis, and what are the types of things that you're working on uh, prior to the start of each show? Yeah, he's uh, he's he's over and beyond with his prep for sure. It's it's crazy how much he, he. I mean, he really thinks into it. I mean, most people probably think he just you know hops up up, up in the chair and just starts talking whatever. But he, I mean, he he really writes down his notes. I mean, we I'd probably wake up at. 4 30 5 a.m so does everybody else and then we get to the studios his meeting started at six and by like started like he would he would walk in the meeting room at 6 a.m and like before he's sitting down he's did y'all see that happen last night what did y'all think about this just like ready to go he was i mean he was ready and he would uh his prep kind of stuff is he We'd, we'd have topics for him, you know, like headlines and stuff, and we we talk about the previous games the night before, whether it be, a, I mean, obviously NFL is his favorite, so he'd, it'd be NFL when it was football season, but, like, I was there for the baseball playoffs, so we'd be talking about that. But he just, he'd have his pen, his highlighter, and just about 20 sheets of printer paper, and he would just be going, going to town, writing notes nonstop, highlighting what he thought. He'd kind of, you know, say whatever he says on the show out to us, and if we agreed or disagreed with something, you know, like he he wants us to speak up. He, he wanted to hear our opinions in there, which is pretty cool. What was the craziest take that, like the hottest take that <laughs> that he gave during your time there? Because he, he does give a lot of great takes. 
Oh yeah, he does, and that's that's what I I mean I love about him is that he's not afraid to say what he thinks. Uh, probably was sitting in the meeting, there was one day that I can't remember it was it was late in the football season or something, and he was talking about how he thinks uh, Harbaugh was the best football coach in America, and I'm thinking in my head, and I speak up, I'm like, come on, man, like. Saban, I mean, Saban hasn't lost a game by more than 14 points right now. Like, he's, I mean, he's he's had three total losses his worst season at Bama. And then, you know, sure enough, a couple months later, Clemson dominates. So, uh, <laughs> obviously looked like a fool there. But <laughs> it was, uh, he's, I mean, I don't know, his, his takes are wild, honestly. And, like, stuff he, I mean, he he was all about the LeBronzo, you know, and he was saying yeah. that before anybody. He's just, he He's good at predicting, and his sources are, are obviously incredible. Yeah, definitely. One of, one of my favorite things about Cowherd is how he proposes these grand theories or hypotheses on whatever's going on in the world of sports, and they're often outside of the box, but a lot of times he's taking it or looking at it from an angle that no one else is really looking at it from, and so I, I definitely appreciate that. How much of those are his ideas versus ideas that are come up with in those meetings or proposed by other producers on staff? I would say most of it's from him, honestly, probably 80, 85%. I mean, we we kind of just chime in on, like, extra stats. He'd, he'd ask, like, who is this player or stuff like that or, like, what are the stats for this? And that's kind of, like, what we're looking up so he can write them down and say it out loud. Uh, but his, honestly, his sports knowledge is incredible. He was – I can't remember exactly who it was, but it was some – we're talking about some coach one morning and uh he was like oh yeah i remember that when i was a sideline reporter for cal back in like 88 he was the receivers coach i'm just like how do you remember that kind of stuff like it's just it's wild so who was the coolest guest because coward does a great job i love when he breaks on joel clatt during the uh during during the week to do college football so he has some some recurring guests but also he brings on guys one time who was who was like the coolest person who who came in on on, on a one-time basis man class class my guy he's he's the <laughs> man I'm, I'm a i'm a big joe class fan he, he's one of the coolest smartest dudes i mean very friendly i mean he was talking to me asking me any questions anything anything he can help me with uh yeah class my guy but probably probably the coolest one i met Mike Vick was on one day. I, I, I tried to meet him, but I was—he had me doing some other video clips that day, so I was kind of kind of bummed that day. But uh, I had to prep Hugh Jackson for uh, oh. his his questions for the show, and it was like—I mean, he came on those shows like a week after he got fired, so it was that was pretty pretty cool. And just kind of dealing with another head coach like Saban, I kind of—he had that same kind of personality and. You know, just just a head coach mentality, sort of. Still, doesn't Coward share a studio with Skip Shannon and the Undisputed team? Yeah, it's it's all it's all one studio. I mean, the camera just literally flips flips ninety degrees, and there's the next show starting. It's it's pretty cool. So you got to meet Skip Bayless. I did. What was that like? He was cool. Uh, I I didn't talk to him much. I mean, because he was he was kind of running around. But uh, I met him. I met Todd Furman. That was. That was cool to me because, I mean, uh, I listen to his gambling podcast and stuff. Uh, but Clack, Clack's my guy. He's my dude, man. He's, he's my favorite. Yeah, that, he's, was my, that was my favorite. Yeah, he's really good. So so during your time, Joy Taylor was 
you know, Coward's, Coward's co-host, what's what's their relationship like? Because when you look at the set, they're, like, not that close because it's a radio show. But so on TV, it's like, it's like they're kind of far apart, and, like, and the couch is, is right in the middle. But, you know, what's her role in terms of the prep? Is it just like you guys, or is it or is she more focused on her segments? Because Coward does do, you know, eight-minute monologues during a, yeah, during a show. Uh, yeah, she, uh, she does good questions. She actually... Uh, she doesn't sit in in the meetings except for like the last 45 minutes just to kind of get ready. So she comes in probably 7.15, 7.30 and just sits there for about 30 minutes. And that's because they want, they want her to have her own opinions. Yeah. They want her to disagree if she wants to with Colin. They want her to you know speak her own mind and not get swayed by what we're all saying, stuff like that. So gotcha. she kind of just comes in, just kind of – she's got her own person that does her, uh, her articles that gets her ready. And she kind of just talks to her. And uh, then they both head off to makeup at eight AM. So so it's kinda like when, when you read about in a in a movie, like the person who's playing the bad guy and then the hero, they stay separated so that when they meet for the first time it's like they they like they sense the anger. I got it. Yep. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I I'm a, I'm a big fan of Joy. She uh she was really nice too. She actually she she let me help her out on her podcast a couple times. She needed some extra like camera work and somebody to, like fill in a little bit so uh that was, that was pretty cool so my last question this this may be a weird question but it's a three-hour show he's locked into his desk like does he ever have to take a bathroom break or does joy have to ever leave like like what happens during the during the commercial breaks refill the coffee yeah we uh, yeah <laughs> we, we've got coffee right behind the set so we'll that uh that commercial break usually he'll he'll run off the screen real fast if he wants another cup of coffee or uh or have to go to the bathroom or something like that. But that's usually when the the, uh, the guests come on. We'll, we'll get them ready. They're standing right behind the camera whenever they walk on. Julie kind of just chills in her chair unless she has to go do something because, I mean, they bring her coffee. She just kind of sits there under her heated blanket and just, just <laughs> relaxes. <laughs> All right, so we're going to take a quick break, and then coming back, we're going to Taylor's going to give us his locks of the week for week one. So, Taylor, give us, you know, last week was week zero. So it was the official start, but it was week zero. For the, so now this is like the truly, truly official start of college football. Week one, what is your first lock of the week? Yeah, week zero, was, it, it was interesting. Uh, we had, I had Hawaii plus 14, so that hit in a wild game. I feel bad for Khalil Tate, how that ended for him. Uh but uh, and then the Florida game, I lost the Florida game. I had Florida minus seven, so I was I was shocked with how that game ended. But I also had the under in that game, so that was that was big. That squeaked out. But uh, this week we have I've got three games, two that are one that I feel really confident about, uh, and we'll get to that in a second. But the first one is Thursday night game. Uh, it's UCLA at Cincinnati. I'm going with UCLA plus three. Honestly, I don't. You probably don't even need the points. Uh, I think they're going to have an outright win. Uh, Chip Kelly, they, they lost last year 26-17 in the opener. 
So I think this is a revenge game. Uh, they're returning nine players on offense, ten on defense, and they, it just showed last year at the end of the year, you could tell that the offense was starting to click a little bit in Chip's uh, system. The first four games of the year, they had 312 yards per game, and then they finished the last eight with 432. So it was a good 120-yard improvement. Uh, it looks like the Sharps are kind of back and forth on this game. It, it dropped to two, and then it went back up to three today. But I, I believe in the Bruins. I think they're going to have a better year this year, and I'm going with the plus three. So, so Taylor, sorry, we should have done this at the beginning, but kind of for for the audience members who don't necessarily are that who, who aren't that familiar with with the points that that you're talking about, just just give a brief explanation for for what plus three really means. Yeah, plus three means uh, that they can they can cover a field goal. So that means that they Cincinnati can win by three and it pushes, or if they win, if Cincinnati wins by two, it'll still uh, it'll still be a win for UCLA. So three or better is kind of the points that you're given. That's what the plus three means. And a minus three obviously would be you know that'd be that's Cincinnati favored by three, so they have to win by more than a field goal. Gotcha. So 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 it's like the game starts and UCLA already has three points on the board. Uh, yeah. Okay. Cool. Just just so everyone you know understands what yes. what the terminology is. Who who's the quarterback for for UCLA now? Uh, it's Dorian Thompson Robinson. Yeah. He's uh he's a sophomore QB. He was he played well at the end of the year last year, but he's I mean another year under the system. I think Chip Kelly's going to get it going. I think he was a I think he was a Elite Eleven guy, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's right. All right, Tyler. What's your second pick? All right, the second pick is we're going with uh, FAU, Florida Atlantic at Ohio State Saturday at noon. We're going to take the over sixty-three and a half. I think it's I think it's kind of low, honestly. It looks like the sharps are starting to pound the over too. So uh, I just I believe Kiffin's going to roll in there. Kiffin had a he had a down year last year, but their schedule should be better this year. And I just believe that. He's going to put up points. I'm hoping for at least two touchdowns, and then I think Fields and Day are going to they're going to show out. They're going to show what they're about, and I think the overall hit. So you seem to be a believer in Justin Fields because I've heard mixed reviews. I've heard people say he is as good as the consensus was coming out of high school. Remember, he was rated higher than Trevor Lawrence, and then I've heard others say that. He's not quite as good as that, and he probably won't live up to that billing. Sounds like you're pretty high on him, though. He's definitely he's a freak athlete. He's uh, he, he can run the ball really well. He, he didn't Kirby didn't really show much last year with his throwing, but I, I've seen a lot of high school tape on him, and he, he's he's still got an arm. He he can play, and uh, I, yeah, I've heard those re- those reports too that he was kind of struggling in camp. But I just I don't know. I, I think this first game. And uh, in Columbus, I uh, just I think him and Day are gonna show a little bit. Except FAUDs, you know, it's not it's not that good this year. But the offense should be better. So I think it's gonna be points, points, points. And we know that Kiffin is a big offense guy. He's proven it. You know, obviously at yep. at Bama and and all over. And I know Justin Fields, another Elite Eleven guy. So so Trent Dilfer is doing is doing a, a great job with that whole that whole program so so give us the last lock of the week all right this this is the the big one i'm on tonight uh this weekend it's uh it's the primetime game it's the auburn oregon game that everybody wants to see it's uh 
I think it's it's going to be a battle of the trenches, honestly. It's uh, the Oregon D-line with Kayvon Thibodeau. He was the number one high school uh, prospect in the nation. They're also returning Troy Dye Sr., who's their linebacker. He was second-team Pac-12. And then Thomas Graham and Lenore Jr., cornerback there. They're one of the best ones. And then uh, Oregon also has – they've got possibly – I mean, they're, they're one of the top O-lines in the nation. They had a 5% sack rate last year and also got uh, – the top JUCO lineman in the nation returning back. So I, I believe with him, Herbert returning 10 startles in offense versus Auburn's D-line, who's probably, honestly, might be the best in the nation. They've got Derek Brown, who's going to be a top 10 pick this year. Marlon Davidson coming off the edge. Nick Coe on the other side. It's uh, that defense versus that, that top O-line in Oregon. It's going to be a battle of the trenches. And I'm taking the under 56. Wow. Very low-scoring game, yep. Wow, so you've got a lot of respect for Auburn's defensive front. I want to hit on their quarterback, though, quickly, Bo Nix. He's a true freshman starting. I've heard him compared to Cam Newton just from a physical standpoint. That is one heck of a comparison, especially considering the college career Cam Newton had. What do you know about Bo Nix? Yeah, Bo Nix, he's, he's a really good quarterback. He was the number two pocket passer in the nation last year coming out of high school. He's from uh, Pinson Valley, so that's it's uh it's around where I'm from, down there in Alabama. So he's his dad was a quarterback at Auburn. He's he's a great athlete. He can throw the ball and he can run. His 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 running is very underrated, honestly, in my opinion. But uh, I just I don't know. True freshman in his first game, it's 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 tough. I, I just I'm leaning with the defense. Their their defense is just that good, and, and Oregon's is better than people think too. That it's it's going to be okay. And then uh, the Oregon, you know, Oregon offense is going to be very explosive this year. But I just think Auburn's D line is going to get to them. It's 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 going to be battle of the trenches. While I watch the trenches, that's where the game's going to come down to. And I'm, I'm I think it's going to be a close game. So I'm, I'm I'm taking the under. I got a question for for you, Taylor, about about a different trend that that I've been noticing in college football. And you talk about with this Bo Nix for for Auburn, true mm-hmm. freshman. You know, Saban starts true freshman Jalen Hurts, then. Brings in true freshman to uh, Georgia. Kirby Smart, former saving guy, starts true freshman Jake Fromm. You have the success of Trevor Lawrence, obviously, last year. Does it feel like everyone's copying this kind of true freshman movement? Like, Because sports is, as we all know, it's a copycat business. What, what, what works for, for one school, everyone thinks that they can replicate it. Are guys, are, do you feel like a lot of schools are throwing in their, their true freshmen? even if they may not be ready because so many teams have had great success with it? I, I think it's more on these quarterbacks are ready. I think uh, Jalen showed it with us. I mean, he was first true freshman Bama side in 32 years. I think this is Auburn's first true freshman quarterback since like the 50s. So, I mean, it's, I mean, we, we all knew Trevor Lawrence. I mean, he's, he's, I mean, he's, he could be the next luck or better. I mean, he's, he's a once in a generation talent. And then we've seen from too, but yeah, I, I know what you're saying. There's a, I think there's three colleges this year that are starting true freshman quarterbacks. It's Auburn, I want to say Arizona State, and I can't remember the third right now. But uh, it's, I think it's more of how well they're prepared in high school and these elite eleven camps with you know Dilford Dimes, like you were saying earlier. Uh, I just, I think they're, I think they're coming in ready to play. And I mean, if you if you can't play. I mean, they're, they're, they're going to take your job, just like kind of uh, Lawrence did against Kelly Bryant last year. 
So, Taylor, you said you have a dark horse Heisman pick, someone flying under the radar who you're extremely high on. Who is that? Yeah, uh, you know, it's probably, I mean, the Heisman, it'll, it'll, probably, it'll probably come down to Tua, Trevor Lawrence, and Jake Fromm with, I mean, how good their teams are nationally and, and, and the record. But uh, I'm going to take a long shot, and my long shot is Derek King. He's Houston's quarterback. He uh, he was a receiver two years ago, and then they switched him over to quarterback. And last year, he put up almost three thousand passing yards. He had fifty total touchdowns, and that was with missing the last three games due to injury. And I think if uh, if he stays healthy with that, their offense is it's 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 going to be awesome this year. Honestly, it's. It's so powerful. And then with uh, Dana Holgerson coming in as their new head coach, I think he's going to open it up even more. His eyes, uh, pace per game definitely went down the last couple of years at West Virginia. And I think Houston had the second highest pace last year. So that, that kind of worries me a little bit. But I, I, I'm taking Derek King. I took him a couple weeks ago at 66 to 1. So that's risk $1 to win 66. And I think I think Tua and, and uh, Trevor are going off 2 to 1. So. I'm taking a long shot, and hopefully he can do what Lamar did a couple years ago where he had 50, 51 touchdowns, I think it was, with uh, about 4,000 passing yards, and uh, he took his team to 9-3 and three records. So I think if they, if Houston can win some games this year, which they, they should compete in the uh, American this year, they probably won the championship. And uh, I, King's a freak athlete. You need to watch out for him this year. I think Houston's playing in what could be one of the most exciting games of the weekend. They're taking on Jalen Hurts and Lincoln Riley. Last time I checked, that spread was 21 and a half. Which way are you leaning in that one? Yeah, I've been looking at that one all week. It's uh, It opened at 28, I think it was, last week. And then this past weekend, it got down to 24. Like you said, now it's at 21 and a half, I'm pretty sure. That one, uh, it's, it's tough. Uh, Oklahoma's defense, is, it's going to be a little better than people think, too. And Jalen's going to put up points, obviously. Houston's not returning many people on defense, so that that was what was kind of uh, iffy with me. And 82 points is just too much for me to take the over. So I just I I think it's just a stay away game. But I'm, I'll definitely be locked in because I'm gonna be supporting King nonstop. And your guy Jalen. That's right, and Jalen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Last thing I want to hit on is the loss of Dylan Moses. So Alabama's star linebacker, five-star recruit, projected top 10 pick in this coming draft, tore his ACL earlier this week and is out for the season. How big of a blow is this for Bama? Yeah, that was, that was a devastating blow, honestly. That's what a lot of people think. It's just, you know, they, they've got the talent, so they'll just reload. But two tre- we lost two linebackers now, so it's going to be two true freshmen at the Mike and the Will. And I think it's more about the leadership. He's, I mean, he was the leader on the defense. I mean, it's it's like two on the offense. I mean, he was the call. He was the play caller. He's he was the second in Buckus Award last year, I think. Um, he, like you said, he's probably going to be a top ten pick or would have been after this year. Uh, but I think I think it was a big loss, and that, that might have been. I'm not sure if we'll ever see him in a crimson jersey again. Honestly, that's. That's disappointing because because he was a great player and I'm pretty sure when he was recruited he was recruited as an athlete right like like he played a little running yep. back in high school. Yep, yep. He was uh, he was a Louisiana boy. He was yeah he was an athlete coming out and he was he was big time. He was a great guy too. Personally, he's uh, 
He's just a great guy, and uh, I hate it for him. That was, that was rough to hear this morning. Try to be as unbiased as you can right now. Objectively speaking, who do you think is the team to beat in the country? Uh, Georgia's my team. That's who I'm picking this year. Uh, obviously Clemson, uh, but I think I think Georgia. Watch out for Georgia this year. Their their O line might be one of the one of the best in the nation. I think they got two guards that are going to be first round draft picks. But Georgia's coming, and I I know that. I mean, like you said, like this Dylan Moses news. That, that was that was that, that that helps them out a lot. Honestly, their their defense is still there, and Kirby Kirby's had two tough games against Bam in the past couple of years. So it's it's. It's time for him to show up, and I think they're they're going to be there. But also, watch out for LSU this year. LSU's long shot. They're 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 loaded. Might have the best secondary in the nation with Stingley, Fulton, and then uh, uh, Grant Delpit. He'll probably he could be a top three draft pick this year. And also, Coach Ed, who might be the best press conference in all of college football. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, he's awesome. People are kind of sleeping on Texas A and M. I don't know if this is the year, but I think they're coming. They're, they're coming. Uh, the schedule schedule's a little too tough for them this year. That, that's, all I'm, that's all I'm worried about. I think it's number one or number two toughest in the nation, along with South Carolina and then Auburn's right there, too. But, yeah, it's, that's they're coming. I, I definitely think I, I could see Jimbo winning a championship in the next five years, no doubt. That's bold, but I like it. Well, thanks thanks for taking the time, Taylor. We'll have to have to do it again. Had a, had a lot of fun today. Yeah, thanks, Taylor. Yeah, thank you all for having me. Appreciate it. That'll do it for this episode of the Double Double. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you wouldn't mind, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Five stars would be much appreciated. If you have any feedback for the show, good, bad, or indifferent, you can shoot us an email. Our email account is double double four zero two at gmail.com. You can also tweet at us. Our Twitter handle is DBL underscore DBL podcast. Thank you again for listening. Take care and make it a great day.